So some of you have expressed you're disappointed in my choice of hairstyle, and um, uh, through this COVID season, I was having some fun and growing it out, and uh, something came over, came over me the other day, and I decided to cut it all off. So um, partly it's summer, and you know, for me, this is kind of the, the, the good summer summer haircut, and so I've promised my family that I will attempt to grow it back again someday in the future, uh, hopefully not too long. And for those of you who don't care, just ignore everything about my hair and all that. And uh, yeah, it's, I know it's been a bit of fun for some of you as you've followed the journey of my hair growth over the last three months. So just thought I would point that out in case you didn't notice. Um, it is summertime, and uh, we've got this this beautiful campfire here on the stage. Thank you, Crystal and Meredith, for putting that together this week. And um, the campfire is to kind of focus our thoughts on our summer series, uh, Campfire Stories. So throughout the summer, we're going to be sharing stories from Scripture. Uh, I think they're all stories from the Old Testament. And uh, it's the idea that around a campfire, we often tell stories, right? If you find yourself at a, a campfire this summer, maybe it's a fire pit in your backyard, uh, maybe it's out camping and you, you put uh, together the fire at your campground, um, wherever you might find yourself, maybe you'll find yourself around a campfire. And, and if you think of that image of being around the fire, often it does evoke stories, you know, maybe you tell uh, memories of experiences from your past, or, um, you know, somebody was joking this morning, are we going to be telling ghost stories this summer? No, we're not going to be telling ghost stories or scary, well, actually, there might be one or two scary stories, I guess, but um, we often tell stories around the fire, and so this summer, we're going to be doing campfire stories, uh, stories from the Bible. Uh, if you've grown up in church, grown up in Sunday school, probably most of these stories would be familiar to you, and so our hope is that as we share these stories, uh, God will speak uh, freshly to us from them. And this morning, we're going to look at Genesis chapter 1, uh, starting in verse 1 to chapter 2, verse 3, which is the creation account, which is likely a familiar story. So we're going to look at that in a moment. Before we get to that, I just I have a few pictures that I wanted to share um, from our vacation experience last summer. And I don't know what vacation is gonna look like for all of you this summer. Um, obviously, plans might be different due to COVID and, and those realities. Uh, but here's some flashbacks to last summer and uh, just pictures of creation and being in God's beautiful creation. So the first picture is uh, a picture of the view from uh, a location where our family often goes in the summer out in Penticton. And this is overlooking Lake Okanagan. And we've got some great friends with a great property that uh, has this magnificent view from their backyard. And uh, you can maybe notice a little rainbow in there. Last year was like the year of rainbows for the Somerville family. It seemed like everywhere we went, we were seeing rainbows. Uh, don't know if God was trying to speak to us through those rainbows or what. But it was just a sign of his beauty and his creation. And... Um, so that was the one spot. The next picture is uh, a picture from a campground that we were at with some family. And this was early one morning just after the sun uh, had risen. And I went out on a walk by myself and looking over the, the lake, it was just so calm and so peaceful and so still. And I just had this quiet walk, uh, kind of praying and talking to God and just looking out over the beauty of creation that morning. Later in the day, that lake would be pretty choppy as the wind would pick up and we would go out on our paddle boards and try to stay on the board because of the waves and stuff. Uh, but in the morning, it was just still. It was peace. It was calm. And then the last picture is uh, 
a picture from a hike that Tammy and I took out uh, in Fernie, and it's uh, a mountain top, and uh, that was one of our hikes, just kind of snapped this picture of the, the mountain there, and I love the mountains. The mountains, to me, just speak of the majesty of God and his greatness and grandeur, and, uh, and so just on that hike, again, seeing these mountains just kind of point my heart to God, and uh, the beauty of his creation, you know, points us to the creator. And so I picked these, these images, uh, not to make you jealous of where we went last summer or anything like that, and uh, hopefully not to make you envious of where you might not get to go this summer, because we're not sure if BC is really friendly to Albertans or not. We're going to risk it at some point, but uh, um, I shared these pictures just to kind of get us thinking that creation can stir us to, to long for God, to worship God, to, to praise Him and adore Him. And so creation is often something that uh, can sort of inspire us and encourage us in our walk with God. And we're going to be talking about this creation account. And so I wanted to just kind of lead us into that. And so if you have your Bibles, you can turn to Genesis chapter 1, starting in verse 1. If you don't have your Bibles, the scriptures uh, will be on the screen as well. You can follow along that way. Or you might want to just listen. I will say, this is a fairly lengthy passage, so um, it's a long one, but it, I wanted to read this creation account in its entirety and kind of get the flow of the sort of poetic nature of it. So if it's easier for you to just kind of close your eyes and listen, you're welcome to do that as well. So let me just read Genesis chapter 1, starting in verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. God saw that the light was good, and he separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning, the first day. And God said, let there be a vault between the waters to separate water from water. So God made the vault and separated the water under the vault from the water above it, and it was so. God called the vault sky, and there was evening, and there was morning the second day. And God said, let the water under the sky be gathered to one place, and let dry ground appear, and it was so. God called the dry ground land, and the gathered waters he called seas, and God saw that it was good. And then God said, let the land produce vegetation, seed-bearing plants and trees on the land that bear fruit with seed in it, according to their various kinds. And it was so. The land produced vegetation, plants bearing seed according to their kinds, and trees bearing fruit with seed in it according to their kinds. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the third day. And God said, let there be lights in the vault of the sky to separate the day from the night, and let them serve as signs to mark sacred times and days and years, and let them be lights in the vault of the sky to give light on the earth. And it was so. God made two great lights, the greater light to govern the day and the lesser light to govern the night. He also made stars. God set them in the vault of the sky to give light on the earth, to govern the day and the night and to separate light from darkness. And God saw that it was good, and there was evening, and there was morning, the fourth day. And God said, let the water teem with living creatures, and let birds fly above the earth across the vault of the sky. 
So God created the great creatures of the sea and every living thing with which the water teems and that moves about in it according to their kinds and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. God blessed them and said, be fruitful and increase in number and fill the water in the seas and let the birds increase on the earth. And there was evening and there was morning the fifth day. And God said, let the land produce living creatures according to their kinds, the livestock, the creatures that move along the ground, and the wild animals, each according to its kind. And it was so. God made the wild animals according to their kinds, the livestock according to their kinds, and all the creatures that move along the ground according to their kinds. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number, Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. And then God said, I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit with seed in it, they will be yours for food. And to all the beasts of the earth and all the birds in the sky and all the creatures that move along the ground, everything that has the breath of life in it, I give every green plant for food. And it was so. God saw all that he had made, and it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. Thus the heavens and the earth were completed in all their vast array. By the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing, so on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. Then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. Let's just pause and pray and invite the Lord to speak to us from his word. Jesus, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you are the word. We thank you that you are speaking to us this morning. Even as we open your word and read from it, we're inviting you to speak. Holy Spirit, would you take your word to us and speak a personal word to each and every one of us. Help us to open our ears to hear what you would have to say to us. Help, and help us to open our hearts and our wills to receive the word you have in store for us. Help us to take that word and apply it and appropriate it in our lives so that we might be shaped more into the image that you desire us to be, children of God. Would you speak this morning? Help us to hear. We pray in your name. Amen. So this is, uh, as I was reading that passage, I was kind of thinking, that would be a long one to tell around the campfire. So I'm not sure if that really works for you if you go home and, and try that out. But uh, nonetheless, this is our, our story for this morning. And just a little bit of context behind Genesis 1. Um, this creation account was not written in a vacuum. It was written in a, in a context, in a culture, in a world um, called the ancient Near Eastern world. And in that world, there were other creation accounts that existed. Some of those creation accounts had some similarities to the one that we just read, but they were all different in the sense that they were creation accounts based on other religious views, other nations, 
other gods um, that were trying to be introduced to those through those creation accounts. And so a couple of them, uh, maybe you've heard of them, maybe not. Um, one is called Enuma Elish. That's a creation account from the Babylonian culture, and it's the story of how their god Marduk sort of became their one main god. Uh, but that creation account came out of a real struggle among the gods. So in their culture, it was sort of this clash of the, the gods, and, and the world sort of came out of this chaos of the gods fighting and grasping for power and sort of this struggle, and eventually Marduk sort of overcame and became their one main god. Um, and so that creation account, there are some similarities, there are some differences. Uh, another one is the Baal myth, and maybe you remember the word Baal or the idea of Baal worship throughout the Old Testament. Uh, it's often one of the uh, false gods that the Israelites kind of got tripped up in worshiping, and, you know, God said that they were to worship him only, and often they were influenced by the other cultures around them, and they began to worship this false god called Baal. The Baal religion has its own creation account, and there were others, Egyptian stories and, and other stories of creation. And so Genesis 1 is, is written in this context of these other creation accounts, and as we approach Genesis 1, there's just a couple things that we need to keep in mind, that this is primarily a theological story. It's a story introducing us to the one true God, the God of Israel, the God of the Bible, the God of Christianity, and it's a theological story. It's not a scientific account. It's not a historical account. There are maybe some reasons to believe that we could dive into science and history, but Primarily, this is a theological text introducing us to the God of the Bible, the God of Israel, the God of Christianity. And it's also a poem. And as I read that, I hope you kind of caught that. The poem was written in stanzas, and there's some, some order to this poem. And the poem sort of speaks to the beauty of God, the one true God. And so we have to keep that in mind that in its poetic nature, there's things about this text that we just really can't get from it. Some questions we might have about creation that really are hard to, to discern from a text like this. So there's lots that we could talk about in this passage, and where I'd like us to go this morning is really about um, the nature of God, who God is. How is he revealed in Genesis 1, and how are we as humanity to respond to him? So there might be lots of things you'd like me to talk about, and I just won't get there. Probably because there's not time to get there, and I want us just to kind of focus on uh, what I would see as the main thing, is looking at the heart of God, the nature of God from this passage. So I want us just to consider the structure of this passage. I mentioned that some of the other creation accounts were very chaotic in their nature, this sort of power struggle among the gods and sort of violence and, and this chaos and, and the world sort of being born into chaos. And the creation account is kind of the antithesis of that. It's, it's a text that, that talks about order and peace. And there is no sort of violence in the air. There's no violence in the story. It's this loving God creating out of his loving nature. And there's this order to it. There's stanzas throughout the poem that each day that's talked about in this creation account really is its own stanza or its own verse. And within each stanza, there's some order. You know, it starts out saying, God said. So on day one in verse three, God said, let there be light. And there was light. 
God saw that the light was good. That's another thing that's repeated throughout this poem. As God speaks, things are created. They're affirmed as being good. Often God names whatever was just created. So verse 5, God called the light day and the darkness he called night. And then most stanzas end with this refrain, there was evening, there was morning, the first day, the second day or the third day. And so we read through this poem, we read these different stanzas, there's some order, some structure, some repetition to them. And as we look at sort of the order and structure and repetition, it sort of paints a picture, and I'm going to use a word that I'm going to give credit to Dr. Colin Toffelmeyer, who sort of, as I reached out to him, sort of talks about Genesis 1 as this cosmic temple. God's creating this cosmic temple. And as we see each day sort of unfolding, it's like God is creating this cosmic temple for himself. Day one, two, and three, God's making spaces. He creates day and night, that's a space. He creates water and sky on day two, that's a, those are other spaces. On day three, he creates land, that's another space. So he's creating this cosmic temple in day one, two, and three. And then in day four, five, and six, he fills the spaces So day four, he creates stars, he creates the sun, he creates the moon to fill the day and the night. Day five, he creates fish and birds, and we witnessed, if you walked into the door this morning, lots of birds that God has created. Um, Hopefully none of you got attacked by those birds. But he created fish and birds to fill the spaces of the sea and the sky. And then day six, He created vegetation, he created animals, he created livestock, and then ultimately he created us, men and women, humanity, to fill his cosmic temple. What a beautiful image of this loving God creating for his glory, but also, as we see about humanity, for our benefit and our enjoyment as well. On day six, when he created men and women, he created humanity, he created us kind of unique, different to the rest of creation. Look at verse 26. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals and over all the creatures that move along the ground. God created men and women. He created humanity to to steward this cosmic temple that he has just created. He's left men and women sort of in charge of taking care of his creation, this cosmic temple. Verse 27, so God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. There's something unique about us. We bear the image of God. We are his reflection in this world. We are his reflection in this cosmic temple You could almost go as far as saying God created the first idol when he created men and women. Idols are meant to reflect the image of the God that they are created to worship. And God created us to reflect his image. In a sense, we are his idols in this cosmic temple to point people to him, to bear his image, to reflect his image, to reflect his nature in the world and in this cosmic temple. And if I just rattled your brains with that word idol, talking about us as idols, just kind of get past that. We can talk about it maybe after the fact, but um, don't let that mess you up for the rest of this passage. But there's something definitely unique about men and women. 
humanity created in God's image, left sort of in charge to be responsible for this cosmic temple. And so as we read this passage, we see that creation is something good. It's something beautiful. It's something peaceful and orderly. It's not chaotic. It wasn't birthed out of violence like the other religious views of that day. It was birthed out of a loving God. And another thing we could talk about is the idea of the Trinity, which we won't get there, but God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, all three members of the Trinity are at work in creation. This loving community in the Godhead birthed this world in which we exist. The other thing I want us to see in the structure of this passage, which we're going to talk about a little bit more, is the idea, there's some repetition in the the idea that God speaks. We're introduced to the God who speaks. And this is part of God's nature that we'll see throughout the Bible. God speaks. God is a speaking God. And a couple things about the power of, or about the reality that God speaks. If you were to read through this passage and count up all the times, it's like 14 or 15 times that God's referenced as speaking. Verse 3, God said. Verse 6, God said. Verse 9, God said. You know, after he said, let there be light, God saw that the light was good, and he called the light day. He named things. He spoke names over what he created. At other times in the passage, it says that God blessed and gave instructions. When he's uh, interacting with humanity, he actually gives them some instructions to follow. He speaks to them. So our God is a speaking God. And I want us to first consider the power of his word. Out of nothing, when God spoke, he created. Out of darkness, God said, let there be light, and there was light. God said, let there be a vault between the waters to separate water from water, and so he, he created out of, out of this nothingness, he created light, he created sea, he created sky, he created land, he created vegetation, animals, he created us. Out of nothing he spoke. His word is powerful. He calls things into being. Consider Isaiah 55, verses 10 and 11. It says, As the rain and snow come down from heaven and do not return to it without watering the earth and making it bud and flourish, so that it yields seed for the sower and bread for the eater, so is my word that goes out from my mouth. It will not return to me empty, but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. God's word holds power. Out of nothing God can create with a spoken word. In this passage in Isaiah, it says that God's word will accomplish what he desires. His plans and purposes prevail when he speaks. And when he speaks, things will happen according to his plan and his purpose. God's word is powerful. God's word accomplishes his purposes And we need to acknowledge the the power, the uniqueness of God's word, God's voice. When God speaks, stuff happens. The other thing that we see about God's word or God's voice or when God speaks is that there's a personal nature to his word. Especially as we look at how he interacts with us as humanity. So the latter part of that passage, verses 26 down to, to verse 30, he's talking to Men and women, Um, verse 28, God blessed them and said, be fruitful and increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it, rule over the fish and the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature 
And then he said, I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth, every tree that has fruit, they will be yours for food. So he gives instructions to humanity. He gives clarification for what their role is in this cosmic temple. He's speaking to them in a personal way. And we see this sort of personal nature of God's word as we read on. If you were to read on in Genesis, the very next chapter, chapter 2 and chapter 3, says that God shows up in the cool of the day in the garden to walk with Adam and Eve, have a conversation with them. Later on in Genesis, we see him speaking to Noah. The same words God said show up in Noah's account. And then in Abraham, we're going to hear about Abraham next week when Colin preaches, God speaks to Abraham. God speaks to his people. If we kept reading on, God speaks to Moses. Moses is known as the one who spoke to God face to face. He had a personal relationship with him. God spoke to the prophets and through the prophets of the Old Testament. God spoke to us through Jesus. And and last month, as we were talking about the Holy Spirit, God speaks through the Spirit being poured out over his church, over all believers. God is a speaking God, and his voice has a personal nature to it. He wants us to know him, and so he reaches out by speaking to us. Think about the personal nature of language. If, if you've ever begun a friendship with someone, or I remember back to when Tammy and I started dating, we would go for coffee a lot more than Tammy liked because she kind of viewed it as me interviewing her a lot of the time. Like, you know. But these coffee times were like conversations where we would get to know each other. And over coffee, we could talk. You know, we could hear each other's stories. We could hear about our past and our hopes and dreams for the future. And the one question she hated the most, where do you see yourself five years from now? I would ask her. I was such an idiot when it came to dating. So if you're out there looking for dating advice, don't come to me. Uh, but the, the nature of language, communication, we reveal bits of ourselves through communicating with others. Our words give voice to our thoughts and our feelings and our hopes and dreams and ambitions. And in the same way, God reveals himself to us as he interacts with us, as he speaks to us, he's revealing his nature to us. He's revealing his hopes and dreams for us and for this world, this cosmic temple that he's created. God wants to know you. He wants you to know him as you interact with his voice. Our God is a speaking God. His word has power and his word is personal. So just a real quick review here of what we've talked about. This creation account is a picture of our loving God birthing this world into existence, creating this cosmic temple where he's filled spaces that he's made with with things and with people and with life. And this cosmic temple is his, the beauty of his creation. And humanity has a unique role in this cosmic temple. And we talked about how God speaks, how his word holds power and his word is personal. I want us just to consider this morning, what can we do in response to this? You know, it's great to know this stuff about God. What do we do with this? How do we respond to a passage like this. And I want to just talk about two words as, by way of response. And if you're taking notes, you can just jot down these two words. The first word is worship, and the second one is word. So two W's to help you remember, even if you're not writing it down. Worship and word. Let me just read Romans 1, verse 20. 
says, For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that people are without excuse. That one verse is saying a lot of things, but one of, one of the things that verse is saying is that if you are out in creation, if you, you know, take a look at those pictures I shared earlier, if you take a drive out to the mountains, if you go for a walk by the Sheep River today, creation speaks of God's existence. The very fact that we live in this beautiful world speaks to his eternal power and his divine nature. God can be seen through the beauty of his creation. And as we see God and see God at work through creation, that should move us to worship at a heart level, a heart response. So when I go for a hike in the mountains and I see the majesty of the mountains and I think of the, the majestic nature, the vastness of God, I'm moved in my heart to worship him, not just for what he's created, but for who he is, how he's revealed in the beauty of his creation. Existing in this cosmic temple should move us to worship him at a heart level. And part of that is this idea of wonder and mystery. You know, we sang the song earlier, God of wonders, God of wonders. This idea that I don't have to have all the answers. When it comes to a text like this, you know, how did God do it? How did this happen? What's the science behind it? Those are important questions, but they're questions to me that don't, they don't impact my heart response of worship. I'm actually okay with God being somewhat mysterious and somewhat wonderful, and somewhat beyond what I can grasp and comprehend, because to me it's a reminder that he is God and I am not, and I can't put him in a box. And so when I go out in creation, see the vastness and the glory, the majesty of his creation, I'm reminded that God is God, I am not, I worship him, and I'm mystified by him. I'm mystified by his ways, I'm mystified by his voice and, and the way he wants to have relationship with each and every one of us. It moves me to worship. So I would hope a passage like this, I would hope going out in the beauty of creation would move you to worship at a heart level. But beyond that heart level response, there's also this idea that worship is a lifestyle. Romans 12 verse 1 talks about offering our bodies as living sacrifices. And if we consider this idea of God creating this cosmic temple and he's placed humanity in his cosmic temple with a, a specific role and responsibility, our worship is actually a lifestyle where we are meant to steward God's creation. And we could talk at length about what that could look like. We don't have time to go there, but what would it look like to live a life of worship as a life of, of, of responsibility in God's beautiful creation? The way we treat creation, nature itself, but also the way we treat one another. If God created men and women unique to bear his image in this world, every person in this room, every person in your house, every person on your street, every person in this world bears some resemblance of the image of God. So in a world right now where there's a lot of political talk about different camps and groups and races and nationalities and all of that kind of stuff, this passage is a reminder that we are all created equal in God's sight. We all bear uh, a, a portion of his image. And so a question that we should be asking as we interact with the people in our lives is, what part of God do I see in them? Because if he created them with worth and value and substance to bear his image in this world, there's something about each and every person 
that I should be able to see evidence of God in their life. Now, we haven't got to the fall, which is the next chapter, which kind of messes a lot of this up. But at its core, at its nature, we were all created in the image of God. And so we need to treat each other responsibly. We need to treat each other graciously. We need to treat each other with dignity and love. Because every person is God's created being that he's put in place on purpose. So worship is our first response. Worship as a heart response, worship as a lifestyle, a life of responsibility in God's cosmic temple. The second word I mentioned was word, and, and a way of response is considering that God is the God who speaks, this idea of his word. And for us as um, citizens in his cosmic temple, what does it look like for us to listen to the one who speaks, to be people of the word? 2 Timothy 3, verse 16, starts out by saying, all scripture is God-breathed. This is God's word, and I would say God's word with a small w word. This is God's word. It's God-breathed. It reveals God to us. God has spoken through his word to help reveal himself to us. And ultimately, his word points to, capital W, word, Jesus. John chapter 1 starts out, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The Word referred to there is Jesus. God speaks through his written Word. God speaks through the Word incarnate, Jesus. Verse 14 of John 1 says, The Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We've seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Jesus came to dwell among us, to physically walk among his created people, his cosmic temple, and he came to reveal God to us, to draw near to us. God loves us so much that Jesus came so that we could have a relationship with God through him, but also so that Jesus could reveal who God is. Jesus is the word, God. So to be a person of the word, we need to live a life of listening to God's written word, and ultimately, to be faithfully following the Word incarnate, Jesus himself. So what does it look like to live a life of listening to the God who speaks? Uh, I came across this meme a couple weeks ago. Some uh, a husband posted this, and I kind of laughed to myself and thought it was appropriate. Um, so let me just read it for you. This husband posted this meme. My wife just stopped and said, you weren't even listening, were you? And I thought, that's a pretty weird way to start a conversation. So here's this husband in relationship with his wife. She comes in, you weren't even listening, right? He thought the, the conversation was starting with that question. The implication is the wife was obviously speaking for a lot longer than that. He just wasn't listening, right? And I wonder sometimes if we live life as followers of Jesus like this, where God's saying, uh, he stops in and kind of jumps into our life and, and intersects us and says, you weren't even listening, were you? And we kind of stop and say, what? That's a weird way to start a conversation, God. What are you talking about? But the reality is God is always speaking. God speaks through his word. Are we spending time in it? God speaks through his son, the word. Are we getting to know Jesus? God speaks even through creation. Are we paying attention as we talked about last month, God speaks through his spirit dwelling in us, filling us, you know, the idea of prophecy and, and visions and dreams, and, and God speaks. 
Are we listening? Or are we like the husband who's caught off guard? That's a really weird way to start a conversation. What would it look like for you to have a posture of listening to the God who speaks? The God who spoke creation into existence out of nothing. The God who, whose word is so powerful and he wants to impact your life. He is speaking to you. Are you listening? What would that look like? This summer, I would encourage you to spend time listening to him. As we gather around the campfire every Sunday, there will be different stories that are told. And as you prepare to listen to these stories, maybe even invite the God who speaks to speak into your heart every Sunday. Sometimes he speaks through phone calls in different ways. Yeah, um, He'll speak around the campfire. He'll speak in your time alone with him. If you're spending time in the word, if you're spending time just paying attention, what would it look like to have a posture of listening? And what would it look like to live a life of worship in God's cosmic temple? Let me just pray. I'm going to invite the worship team to come, and uh, we will be taking communion in a moment. But let me just pray uh, to begin us in response here. So Jesus, we thank you that you are the word. You came to dwell among us and you had the fullness of God dwelling in you. You have the fullness of God dwelling in you. You reveal God to us. Jesus, we worship you because you've pointed us to the Father. Father God, we know that you are the God who speaks, that your word holds power that out of nothing you can create beauty in the nature and, and the world around us in which we live. And so we worship you because of your powerful voice. And we desire to listen to you. So Holy Spirit, would you help us to hear when you speak? Help us to be paying attention. Help us to be drawing near to you, looking and listening for your voice. We know that you're always speaking, so help us to hear you more clearly. Help us to follow you more faithfully. Help us this summer to reconnect with you, maybe in ways that we've never connected before or maybe in ways that we have in the past but just aren't now. Help us to connect with you and, and listen to you and follow you. We pray this in your name. Amen. I want to just read a, another passage of Scripture to kind of lead us into communion this morning. That's okay. There's phones going off everywhere. God's really trying to call us this morning, I think, is what's happening. Cheesy. I know. Okay. Uh, this is Colossians chapter 1. Um, just listen to this text as we prepare for the Lord's table this morning. It kind of ties into what we're talking about with this idea of creation and everything. The Son, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation, for in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together, and he is the head of the body of the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy, for God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him. And through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his, shed, through his blood shed on the cross. 
Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior, but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. In Jesus and through Jesus, all things were created, things in heaven and on earth. You and I were created by him and through him and for him. Jesus is before everything and after everything. He's the one that holds everything together. And God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him and through Jesus to reconcile us to him. I made mention earlier, we didn't talk about Genesis 3 and the whole idea of the fall and sin and rebellion, but we know that's a part of the impact on our lives from the Genesis account is that we've been tainted by sin. But Jesus came to lay down his life, and it says that he made peace through his blood, which was shed on the cross. So once we were alienated from God, we were far from him, we were enemies because of our sin, but now Jesus has reconciled us to God through his physical body, through death, to present us holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. 